All right. So how many of you would know how to treat a bee sting while on a hike? Okay. All right. All right. Good time to shut off all your cell phones. Excellent idea. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. So how many of you would know how to treat a bee sting while on a hike? Okay. Okay. Or if you were in the woods, would you know how to make a fire without matches? Okay. Okay. A couple of you do. I think Karen Irwin probably does. Okay. She's the woman who sits and makes the bonfire for us all the time. And I, she doesn't use matches. So kidding. All right. So would you know, would you know which exit to take in case there would be a fire in a place? Okay. Do you listen to the airplane attendant? Okay, where is Cindy? Where is Cindy and Ellen? Nobody listens. She's a flight attendant. She will tell you. She's an international flight attendant. She's like, I might as well just do cartwheels or something. Nobody listens to the thing, right? Right? All right. Would you, okay, would you know how to survive in any major disaster? Like, for instance, an avalanche. Okay. Yes, I would. All right. Okay, here's the deal. If your answer was no, to any of these scenarios, okay, to any of these scenarios, okay, uh, then I'm sure there's an app that you could help you. Okay. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, but you could Google it, right? All right, but not in the midst of the avalanche, all right? That would not be good, right? But here, here's, here's why I mention this. Deep down inside, we all realize that we each need a guide. A guide, G-U-I-D-E. We each need a guide. We each need guidance, leadership. Each of us do, okay? It's also known as shepherding. Shepherding. And so we need someone to guide us down the path of life, down the roads of life, okay? I mean, think about it. How many times in the past week have you asked someone for, like, an opinion or something of a decision you face? Like, for instance, like, um, what do you think? Should I wear this? Should I wear that? Oh, do you know a great Italian restaurant to go to? Um, do, uh, you know what? I've got this financial situation, and I know you work with this financial planner. What do you think about this? Or um, maybe you need some resolve in raising your teens. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so we ask. Okay. All of us need guidance almost constantly. And so we seek it everywhere. Sadly, some people seek it from what? Horoscopes to psychics. Okay? Other people go from like parents to pastors. A study was done in the United Kingdom and it revealed just this last year that the average person will make 773,618 decisions over your lifetime. 773,000 618 decisions over your lifetime, okay? So that means a typical adult, us sitting here, okay, we make 27 judgments each and every day, okay? Now, that's usually starting with, okay, should I hit the alarm for snooze once or twice this morning, right? right? So we make these judgment calls. We make these judgment calls. Now, in the Bible, most often we are compared to what? I didn't hear you. Sheep. Sheep. Okay. In fact, we knew from last night 220 times we've been compared to sheep in the Bible. Okay. And so David, a, the, a psalmist, as well as a shepherd, as well as a shepherd, okay, he employed this analogy repeatedly. Let's look at this verse. 
Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his pasture. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let's go to Psalm 77. He says, you led your people like what? Like a flock, like a flock of sheep. Let's go to the next one, Psalm 79, 13. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. We will proclaim, proclaim your praise. And then, of course, we know in Psalm 23, which is what I base the, the prayer walk on, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, okay, um, that psalm has that same comparison. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so throughout the Bible, we see this parallel drawn between us and sheep, okay? One of my favorites is Isaiah 40 and verse 11, where it says that God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are with young. Isn't that great? He gathers them right, right to his heart, the little lamb right to his heart. And so we could go on and on and on in scriptures. In fact, I've got all 220, no kidding. Okay. Uh, there, you know, that we could see once again how we're compared to sheep. We're compared to sheep. We're compared to sheep. So of all the animals God created, the species that needs guidance the most is what? Sheep. Sheep is what? Yay. Sheep. Who's a sheep here? Okay, raise your hands. That's right. You don't have to bat. That was good, though. All right, excellent. All right, now, just to reiterate, just a tad for those of you who weren't here last night, just a few things about sheep, okay? Sheep on a whole are pretty simple and stubborn. They're simple and stubborn, okay? Ask yourself, have you ever seen trained sheep? No. no, you haven't. You haven't seen trained sheep, okay? Of course not. You probably will never because they are simple-minded. And they're also stubborn. Remember we learned last night that they're dirty and they're wayward, okay? Real sheep aren't those clean, fluffy, cute things that you got, those cute little paper clips with the cute little cotton balls on it, and you got on your doors, right? Those cute little cotton ball sheep. Okay, that's not real sheep, okay? Um, if you've ever seen the southern end of a northbound flock, you'll know why. Whoa, okay? They're not cute little cotton balls, all right? And they wander off easily. They wander off easily. Okay, no matter how many times a shepherd brings back a wayward sheep, guess what? They wander off again. They wander off again. And the shepherd goes and brings them back with his rod and his staff, and he brings them back, and he brings them back. They are prone to wandering, okay? They don't learn from their mistakes. That's sheep. And then they're defenseless, and they are dependent, okay? So they don't, remember, they don't have much of a bite, they don't have natural defense. They don't have claws. They don't have fangs. They don't have like a stink bag, like a skunk, right? They don't have anything like that. This is because sheep are not threatening in any way. Sheep are not threatening in any way whatsoever, okay? They are top-heavy. <laughs> I just thought about that. We're all women sheep. That's so good. 
They're top heavy, all right? They're top heavy, but they have spindly legs, okay? They have spindly legs, okay? Okay, I didn't get the spindly legs part, right? But they're top heavy, right, with spindly legs. And, and this makes them slow, plus they have absolutely no camouflage. Who was on the walk this morning? We saw the grouse, right? The grouse, right? And then like, where'd he go? Where, remember, we're like, what, where, and what a camouflage, right, in the woods? Perfectly camouflaged. Meanwhile, the sheep was like, hey, I'm white, here I am big, right? All right, and then they are susceptible to all kinds of diseases, all kinds of diseases. In fact, they will eat too much if you let them. <laughs> mm, especially at Fort Wilderness. <laughs> okay. In fact, so much so, they make themselves sick, that they make themselves sick. And then finally, sheep get, you know, very frightened. They get very confused. Okay, it doesn't take much to scramble, as I call it, the mental yoke, the mental yoke of a sheep, okay? Because he's nervous. She's nervous sheep, okay? Um, they'd even been known to plunge straight over the edge of a high cliff, high precipice, okay? One following after the other. True story, true story. But a story about shepherds eating breakfast outside the town of Gevis, Turkey. And they were surprised to see a lone sheep literally jump off a nearby cliff to fall to his death. But what really stunned them was when each of the rest of the 1,500, 1,500 sheep in the herd followed his example. Every single sheep jumping one after another, following that next, not realizing at all they're jumping to their death just following the next sheep over and over and over again. When it was all over, the local newspaper reported that 450 of the sheep, okay, perished in a billowy white pile. It was because the 450, when they jumped on the other 450, they were saved because the billowy white pile kept going up, up, up. So when they jumped, they were saved. They were saved, okay, because the pile had become more and more cushioned and higher, so they were saved, okay? So the estimated loss to the families of Gevis was nearly $100,000. And I want to tell you something. The average person earns $2,700 annually in Gevis, Turkey. Those are sheep. Those are sheep. Do you remember, and maybe you say this to your children even now, or maybe your mom said this to you, like my precious mom said to me. If Sherry was going to jump off a cliff, would you follow her? <laughs> I mean, if Sherry would do that, but I'm like, right, have you heard that before? Right, I mean, it's like, because you always say what Sherry would do. Where's Sherry? Where's Sherry? Right, oh, there you are. Always do what Sherry would do. Always just this, and then it was like, if Sherry's do something wrong, she's like, well, if Sherry would jump off a cliff, would you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there you are, right? We're sheep. We would. We would, okay? We are absolutely designed, what? To need a guide with a capital G. We need a guide in life. We absolutely need a guide. I want you to sit back and I want you to watch the monitor now because uh, Becky, one of our um, MFM leadership team, I asked if she would share her testimony. We're doing it in threes. One is um, tonight, one is Saturday morning and one is Saturday night. I've known her for quite a while, 
and um, she's never shared um, her testimony publicly like here and I asked if she would because you will see through this how um, she she desperately needed a guide how she desperately needed a shepherd so let's watch watch the monitor Well, it's good to be with you, and I'm Becky, and I just want to share my story with you. And it's very unusual for me to be on this side of the camera. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, and I was baptized four times as an infant, three times in the hospital after my birth, because my loving relatives were super worried about my eternal destination. But my parents taught me about God's love, and we prayed all the time, before meals, as a family, Sunday school, confirmation, and at 14, I read my faith statement to the church, and I professed to be a Christian. My first couple years of high school were fantastic. I had a great time, but by the time junior year rolled around, two campuses had combined to one, and I found myself broken up with my boyfriend of two years, and with that, left my popular friends. And I was suddenly alone, and couldn't seem to fit in, and I just really felt sad all the time. Our pastor, who I adored, retired, left the church on not the best of notes, and I didn't really feel like God was with me anymore. So back in 1982, it was really unacceptable to talk about anxiety or depression, and so my parents and I kept it hush-hush that I was seeing a psychologist, and he uh, suggested I take a medical leave from school so that I could gain some perspective. My absence resulted in vicious rumors with the kids at school, and they had been saying that I was trying to commit suicide, followed by an abortion. So to say that I was anxious to get out of high school would be the understatement of the year. All these things were untrue, and yet my reputation was ruined. My mom insisted that when I went off to college, it be a small Christian college. So we selected Augustana, and, and off I went with all the hope in the world. But sadly, by the end of first quarter, probably Christmas time, I barely recognized the person that I was. I was a sheep who had gone completely astray. I began a two-year downward spiral of poor choices, followed by even more bad choices, followed by even worse choices. And all I did was party. You see, I finally discovered I liked to drink. And when I got drunk, it definitely numbed the pain a bit. And then I started smoking marijuana, which made me laugh, even when I did it by myself, which is very sad. And then I started out hanging uh, out exclusively with men, and first to party and the last to leave. And even if that was the next day, and I didn't know their name, and I slept in their bed, but hey, they didn't think of me as girlfriend material, but casual sex was better than no love at all, right? And then came my favorite drug of choice, Coke. I felt like I was on top of the world when I did cocaine. I was spiritually enlightened. I was powerful. I was confident. And I would do just about anything to keep that high going. When I came back home after my sophomore year of college, I basically told my parents I didn't want to go back to school. And I 
told them I wasn't sure what I wanted to be and all this sort of thing. But the real truth was they had no idea what I had done, the choices I had made. And I know I was disappointing everyone. My brother even called me the black sheep of the family. He was teasing, but I was. So my parents and all their friends and our church were praying for me. I thought if I got my distance from all these party people that I could stop using drugs, that I really didn't have a problem. I'd live at home, I'd save up some money, I'd get a job, I'd figure things out, and then maybe I'd go back to school. But after I started working, I started dating a man that I worked with, and he was older than me, and I liked that he was more mature. And we soon started getting wasted together, and then he surprised me with cocaine one night. And there it began. He was in love with me, though, and things seemed to be going, you know, pretty well between the two of us until I learned he was married and a father. So now I can add adulteress to the list of shameful things that my choices have caused. And I could have been responsible for destroying a marriage and a family, really. So there's my bottom. Finally, and then I was ready to look up. Fortunately, my shepherd had an awesome rescue plan in place. So God got my attention uh, using a saxophone player named Herb. He was one of the guys in my wedding band I had joined. And uh, we spent every weekend together playing gigs and weddings and private parties. And, and one night after I had a couple cocktails, I got the nerve to ask Herb why he had never asked me out. And I said, did you ever consider asking me out? And he replied, no. And I replied, ouch. <laughs> and he said, I only date Christians, Becky. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. And he kindly said, I don't think so. That really ticked me off. But Herb invited me to church, and eventually I agreed to go. So after just a few weeks of attending Willow Creek and listening to Bill Hybels give the gospel message, I understood that I had never come to a saving faith when I was 14. I had religion, I knew who God was, but I didn't have a relationship. I had the head knowledge of a lofty God who was impersonal, but I didn't know Jesus in my heart, the personal relationship. I knew I was an ugly sinner in need of a beautiful Savior, and I understood what true repentance meant. And that's when I invited Jesus to move into my heart, my heart, and invade my entire life. All those shameful sins I had committed, Jesus forgave. Past, present, and future. And he not only forgave them, but he forgot them. As far as the East is from the West, the Bible says. I cannot put into words the feeling, the feeling that that caused in me, the relief and the weight that was lifted, and I no longer felt like damaged goods. Herb gave me a study Bible, and I couldn't spend enough time in God's Word. I had so many questions, and I was just rapid-firing them at him, and it was exhilarating, and I was on fire. When Satan would try to shame me and tell me how awful I still am and remind me of my sordid past and all my sin, I would stand on God's promises. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'd yell at him, No, I'm not. In Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. 
So Herb and I finally started dating, and I was pretty sure that he was going to be my intended husband from God. But looking back, God graciously removed him from my life because I was trusting him as my tangible Jesus. I need to go it on my own. I was hurt and I was confused, but I totally trusted God. And I knew he had to have something better. And so I waited, very expectantly. Enter Dave Lazuski. You love hearing somebody's real story. Isn't it so good? So, so good. See, David teaches us in the 23rd Psalm that we need someone to lead us on the paths that are right. Becky needed somebody to lead her on the paths that were right for his name's sake. She needed a shepherd with a rod and a staff to love on her and correct her. So when we read scriptures like Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Or in Mark, in the New Testament, Mark 9, 36, where it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Texts like this should remind us over and over again that we, we do have an inborn need for a shepherd. Sheep have an inborn need for a shepherd. And the, one of the most popular statements of these was when Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd. Not just any old shepherd. He's the good shepherd, right? So let's look at John 10. And that's where our main text is all weekend. And Jesus is speaking here and he says, I am, it's one of his I am's, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. For when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. John 10, 11, 3, 15, and verse 18. So what is it? about Jesus that makes him qualified to be our shepherd. Not just any old shepherd, but the good shepherd. How is he qualified for that? Well, Jesus is not a stranger. He's not some hired hand. We just read in John 10. He's not just paid to do a job. Nope. He knows us. He knows us intimately, and he loves us. And the relationship between sheep and shepherds, it was different in Palestine. I want you to understand this. In Palestine and Israel, okay, than in any other parts of the world. For instance, in Britain, 
most sheep are sold for eating, for killing, and for eating. In Palestine, in Israel, most sheep were not eaten. They were not eaten. Rather, most were kept for their wool or for their milk. And so in the land of the Bible, the sheep were often with a shepherd since their birth. For years upon years upon years upon years, the sheep knew their shepherd. The shepherd knew their sheep, okay? From birth through their entire life, they're with that shepherd, okay? And the result of all the time together is those shepherds knew their sheep. And guess what they did? They gave them names, like we learned last night. They gave them names. What does it say in John 10, 27? That's our verse. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Say it with me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. One more time. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay, so from the beginning of time, Jesus has watched over each of us be born and growing up. From the beginning of time, okay, as God in the flesh, Jesus knows everything about us from the molecular level on out. Just think, the God of the universe knows you by name. He calls you by name. He knows your fears this very night. He knows your anxiousness this very night. He knows your trials this very night. He knows your temptations this very night. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows you inside and out. He, he, he's absolutely aware of every single sorrow, right? And he knows your darkest thoughts that you think nobody knows. He knows. He knows. And he's your shepherd. And he loves you. And he keeps calling you by name. And he keeps calling you to himself over and over again. And he loves you anyway. Always. He's the good shepherd. He's the good, good shepherd. I like how Max Lucado, any of you guys know Max Lucado as an author, right? I like how he compares cowboys and cows to shepherds and sheep. This is so great what he writes. Listen. Behold the hero of the American West, the cowboy. Behold the hero of the Bible, the shepherd. On the surface, he appears similar to the cowboy. He, too, is rugged. He sleeps where the jackals howl and works where the wolves growl, never off duty, always always leading. Like the cowboy, he makes his roof, the stars, and the pasture his home. But this is where the similarities end. You see, the shepherd loves his sheep. It's not that the cowboy doesn't appreciate the cow. It's just that he doesn't know the animal. Okay, He doesn't even want to. He doesn't hug his cows. Have you ever seen a shepherd hug a sheep? Absolutely. Why? The difference is the cowboy leads the cow to slaughter. The cowboy leads the cow to slaughter. The shepherd leads the sheep to just be sheared. To just be sheared. The cowboy wants the meat of the cow. The shepherd wants the wool of the sheep. And so they treat the animals differently. The cowboy drives the cattle. The shepherd leads the sheep. A herd of cattle has a dozen cowboys. A flock of sheep 
one shepherd. One shepherd. The cowboy wrestles, brands, herds, ropes. The shepherd leads, guides, feeds, anoints. The cowboy whoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls each sheep by name. Aren't you glad Christ didn't call himself the good cowboy? <laughs> Aren't you so happy? Right? No, he's the good, good shepherd. Our Lord is the good shepherd. Why? Because he knows us. He knows us. And we can all say with David in excerpts from Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Listen, fellow sheep, sweet little sheep earth, okay? Jesus knows everything about you and your life situation. And this is not intellectual awareness. This is not like he just checks off the boxes. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's how Renee is. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, this is not intellectual awareness. This is intimate, intimate knowledge. He knows you. It's intimate knowledge between God in the flesh and you, his child. There isn't a single motivation, thought, act, or word that has slipped out of your being and escaped the good shepherd's undivided attention. Hebrews 4.13 puts it like this. All things are naked. And open to the eyes of God. And not only does he know us, he wants to guide us through life. So he says in Psalm 25, Who is the man that fears the Lord? God will teach him the way that is best. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you. I will teach you the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then Isaiah 65. Before you call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. See, Jesus is qualified to be our shepherd because not only does he know us, we know him. Secondly, what we know him, okay? When in our decision to follow Jesus, like you heard Becky, okay? She had religion, this, 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 and everything. I love her. Herb's like, mm, I'm thinking no. Right? She's like, but see, she had religion. And when in our decision to follow Jesus, we acknowledge him as our shepherd, we learn to recognize when he speaks. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's my shepherd. That's not a thief or robber or, you know, false shepherd. That's my shepherd. He knows me. I know him. That's his voice. That's his voice. I know him. That's the way it is with sheep. Okay, we may not be too bright, okay, but we have enough gray matter up here to know who our true shepherd is. Who our true shepherd is. So when he calls, we follow. When he calls, we follow. 
In fact, that's how shepherds proved their ownership in Jesus' day. They didn't have brands. They didn't have marks. Each shepherd had their own distinctive call to the sheep, and those sheep would only respond to that specific call. True story, days of World War I, when a group of Turkish soldiers came to the hills near Jerusalem and stole a large number of sheep because they wanted to use them to feed their unit. The shepherd had been asleep, and when he woke up and realized what had happened, he ran to the hills and he looked down and he saw these sheep a few hills over being led astray by Turkish soldiers. And the situation looked pretty hopeless. The Turks were armed, and he was totally outnumbered. One shepherd, all of these Turks, okay, so he couldn't attack. And so, well, here's the deal. The shepherd did the only thing he knew to do. He stood on the hill, he cupped his hands around his mouth, and gave out his unique call. The one only the, she the sheep knew was that shepherd. The one he always used with those sheep. His unique call. And he called to them, and he called to them, and he called to them. And when he did, the sheep stopped. The sheep turned and ran back across the hills to him. True story. They left their captors, okay, behind, for they had the relationship of knowing their shepherd's voice. Was well, a shepherd? Was well, a shepherd? They had no idea they were going to be eaten. Right? That was a false shepherd. You want to lead him away, right? Not the true shepherd. They knew his voice. And they ran back to him. They ran back to him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Okay, as believers... As believers, we're all sheep who know Jesus' voice. As believers, okay, we can recognize the call of our Creator. We can recognize the call of our Redeemer, okay? When we ask Jesus to forgive us, like Becky did, where she asked Jesus to forgive her and lead her, lead her through life as Lord, right? God gives you sort of like a caller ID. He gives you like a caller ID. Okay? And what I mean by that is that it enables you to distinguish his voice from that of our adversary. It's like, oh, yeah, that's him. That's him. That's him. And the more time we spend in prayer and non-negotiable face-to-face time with him in the word, the more you're going to know his, sheep vo his voice to the sheep. The more you're going to know his voice. Because you're going to know his voice through his word. You're going to know his promises through his word. You're going to know who he is. You're going to respond to him. My life verse is Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings. So somehow, becoming like him in his death to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. I want to know my good shepherd. I want to know him. Where he starts and I stop, I, there's no difference. I want to The more you know him, the more you'll know his voice. And he wants you to know his voice. 
wants you to know that. The better your caller ID functions when you're in prayer, when you're in your non-negotiable face-to-face time. It's great to be here and be under the word. It's great. It's a mountaintop experience, but it's the day-to-day in the valley where you're getting to know him and reading his word over and over and over again. The wonderful thing about it is that we heed, we heed the instructions of our shepherd, okay? That only, not only allows us to make wise decisions that benefit us, we actually join God in his work and benefit others. At this point, I'm going to ask our amazing videographer, JJ, to uh, step off of his little platform and to grab a mic and to come up here, and I want him to share. Today at the fire, um, we were talking, and uh, I go back 35 years with JJ, and uh, amazing man of God. And what has happened, JJ, come on up, honey. And so what has happened is, um, as we were doing uh, Becky's video and this, this, and JJ was working hard on that and everything, I parked behind his car, and I had noticed that on his car, it has paratrooper Vietnam, and then it has Purple Heart. And I'm like, JJ, I knew you were a paratrooper in Vietnam. I know this is part of your story of being this lost sheep never told me about the purple heart portion. Oh, okay. So he shares with me, and I'm like, oh, no, no. God, you have to tell your story of how he came after you as that last sheep. Okay, um, I have been uh, in Vietnam for 10 months. I got drafted in 1966, and I was in the country for 10 months. Pretty much really search and destroy missions throughout Vietnam. And then uh, one day, uh, the captain came to my unit and said, they were on a helicopter, it's a very intense battle. And we would uh, be landed on the hill, and we were going to relieve a battalion in the valley the next morning. And he said specifically, some of you are not going to make it. They don't, there must be casualties, clean weapons, and be ready in the morning. And so, the way our unit worked, there's always one guy on guard duty on the call, just to be on guard. And so my guard duty was from one to two in the morning, and then I would pass the watch to another guy from two to three throughout the night. So I was on from one to two, and I was on the cell top, knowing that we were at a battle in the morning. And I looked up at this guy, and it was incredible. It was like a, a planetarium. Incredible number of stars. And I said the most sincere prayer that I had ever said in my life at that point. I said, you who made all of this, I didn't even say you guys, I said, you who made all of this, can you please not let my two buddies get killed in the morning? Because they were sleeping at my feet, Robert Kulane and Bob Dance, we had been friends for months, and I just didn't want them to get killed in the morning. And I prayed that. I didn't pray for myself. I ended up getting wounded and spent two months in the hospital in Japan. I tell you that story because God answered my prayer at that time. Now let me fast forward four months, and I'm back at school, back in Milwaukee, attending school, and uh, I'm playing a game of pool, and I'm really good at pool. And I felt really good beating all the students. And then this one guy beat me, and he was, I was impressed because 
I was crushed. <laughs> and afterwards, he said, uh, what are you doing Wednesday nights? And I said, well, I'm not doing work, of course, and then you watch TV. He said, I would like to invite you to a Bible study. And in a split second, he said, Bible study. I was back on a hilltop in Vietnam. I connected Bible and God. And I said, yes, I will come to the Bible study. The only reason I said I would come was just because I wanted to pay God back. Mm -hmm. I figured God did me a favor because my buddies weren't killed. I'll do God a favor and go to the Bible study. So I went Wednesday. The Bible study was at 7. I got there at 7.30. But I still want to pay God back and get out. So I came in. And I opened up the door and the place was packed. Because all the seats were filled. People were sitting on the floor. And it's because I was late. I just came in and just slid right down by the back door. And I'm going to do God a favor and then leave. I didn't even have a Bible. So I really felt out of it. But I wanted to. No, you got to pay them back. Now, here's the thing that began to happen. They had something called conversational prayer, which I had never heard before. And they began to share what God had done, the praise prayers, what God had done in the previous week. Prayers that they asked people to pray for, uh, some situation that was coming up. And then someone would say, let me tell you what God did for my family last week, or let me tell you how God helped me get a a good grade in this test by calming my mind. And I'm thinking, their prayer, they're saying prayers like Jesus is in this room. I can see guys on the hilltop in Vietnam protecting a soldier from being killed, but right in this apartment? So I, I said, no, I can identify with that because he answered my prayer. So I connected with him on that level. But the real level that connected me was at the end of the Bible study. Because as soon as he said amen, I was right by the door, I was going to get out. I, I was the only black guy there. And I think Mrs. Denny was a racial issue back in the early 70s. I'm like, God, I'm doing your favorite, I'm gone. Like, I could not get to the door now quick enough. I literally turned to get out, and I was surrounded, surrounded by about four or five guys. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And I went, my name is John Jones, and I just got invited, and the guy who invited me was leading the Bible study. I thought he invited me to his apartment that I passionately the Bible study. So the guy who beat me in the game of pool was a solid Christian. <laughs> but, but that's the story that began my walk with Christ. Now, I kept coming back because it wasn't so much, I didn't have a Bible. I saw the love that they showed to me. It was uncanny, total stranger, black guy. And they treated me so kindly. It was love. And I came back. We got the win just because I was accepted. And they cared for me. About three or four months into that study, I prayed to receive Christ's life because I wanted what they had. They had authentic Christian faith. And I saw it. And that's sort of my walk. Okay, just stay right here just for a second. Isn't that so great? So, you know, during his uh, time uh, when he was convalescing for two, three months in Japan, he was shot up. Uh, he, that's the Purple Heart, and he's got um, scars all over him from being shot up. It didn't hit any of his vital organs, or he wouldn't be here right now. Uh, but he wanted to read a book, and so he would go and he would look in the library, and 
He's like, oh, okay, there's Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Okay, the next book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Oh, the next book, Mere Christianity. There were like eight or nine same books, and he's yeah. like, are you serious? He gets to the other last one, and he goes, well, I might as well take it. And read it. <laughs> and read it. So along the way, see all the seeds that were planted? Seeds that were planted, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and so he read that. He had, he had spoken to someone saying, wow, this is amazing. Asked this someone who he didn't know to save his buddies. He did. He read Mere Christianity, sets him up, comes out to Japan, goes to MSOE, gets in, this guy goes, hey, come, beats him in pool. Okay, all right, I'll pay God back. I mean, do you see how God works? Do you see how he continually goes after the one because he wants you to be his sheep? He wants to be his sheep, right? So that you can hear his voice. The guy that asked him to Bible study was his sheep, was his sheep, and was just asking JJ to come. He doesn't, didn't know his background. He didn't know anything about it. But God had already been at work, already at work, right? Over and over and over again. You'd be like, here I am, JJ. Here I am, JJ. Here I am, JJ, right? Right? I know. So, I know. So he still continues. So thank you for sharing that. I love you to pieces. Well, Get you back for that Purple Heart thing, JJ. <laughs> 35 years, never knew that. See, when my sheep, Jesus says, knows, I know them. They know my voice. They follow me. It makes a difference to all the other sheep around. It made a difference in JJ's life. He was a real sheep. And Jesus is more than capable of being our good shepherd because thirdly, he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. There are many, many stories of shepherds in the Bible days, okay, of them dying, laying down their life for the sheep. Wolves, predators, they were protecting their flocks from lions and wolves and bears and thieves, okay? And as Jesus said in John 10 that we read before, he said, look at a hired hand wouldn't do that. A hired hand is just doing it for what? The money. Somebody comes after, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not going to be killed for these sheep. It's just for the money. He wasn't interested in that. He wasn't interested in the sheep. A true shepherd is interested in the sheep. He's interested in you because he loves you. Because he loves you. After all, they belong to him. They belong to him over and over and over again. A true shepherd knew his sheep from birth. That's a great picture of us with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Our creator, our redeemer laid down his life to protect us from what? From sin and from death. And in essence, the good shepherd became a lamb. Right? That one sacrificial lamb who died for all our sin passed present, future. One time, that's it. Done deal. On the cross. Past, present, future. So understand up until this time, listen carefully, up until the time that Jesus was born, sheep were sacrificed in the temple for people, including the shepherd. Sheep were sacrificed for their sins. 
including the shepherd, okay? But in Jesus, the roles are reversed. They're absolutely reversed, okay? The shepherd sacrificed himself for his sheep. They're totally reversed, okay? And as he says in John, Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. I lay it down, I take it up, period. He willingly died for you, he willingly died for me. That was his purpose of coming to earth in the first place, period. Warren Wiersbe, a great author, says, Jesus did not die as a martyr killed by men. He died as a substitute, willingly laying down his life for you and me. Willingly. Shepherds do this for sheep. They do this for sheep because of the danger they face, predators like wolves. Jesus did this for us because of the danger we face due to sin. Sin is spelled little tiny s, Great big I, little tiny N. Because when I is on the throne, you're going to sin. And that's what he died for, right? Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming, right? He saw Jesus coming to be baptized in the Jordan. He said in John 1, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Can you imagine John the Baptist? Even, he's like, oh, you're coming to the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, right? And in the same text, Isaiah compared us to sheep who had gone astray. He spoke of Jesus in this context from Isaiah 53. And he said, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. For he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open up his mouth. Jesus the good shepherd died for all people. As Paul says in Romans, he says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still stinking, rotten, putrid, okay, that's Margot's version, <laughs> sinners, sinners, he died for us. He died for us. One more thought as we're going to be closing. One more thought. Do you remember the five words of the shepherd? Psalm, Psalm 23, what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. Say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. Who's your shepherd? The Lord. Who's your shepherd? The Lord. The Lord, okay? I want you to understand something. God won't be your shepherd if you don't make him Lord. God won't be your shepherd if you don't make him your Lord. Shepherds lead, sheep follow. God can't lead you if you don't commit your life to him, to follow him, and to listen to his voice. That's making him Lord. Now he's your shepherd. Now he's your master. Now you want to be there. It's like, well, you say it. I'm there. You got the best grass, the best water. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. He's your Lord. He just didn't save you to get the golden ticket to heaven and then act any way you want. You're his sheep. How do you think JJ came to know Jesus? Through a guy who was his sheep. How do you think Becky came to know Jesus? Through a guy who was his sheep. Named Herb. How great is that? I love that. His name was Herb. Herb, his sheep. Really, Lord? I love this. Right? 
That's how you come to know him. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So do you know your shepherd? Do you know your shepherd? Are you listening to your shepherd's voice? Maybe you're in a difficult time right now. And you're just trying to figure out what to do. And you can't figure out which way you should go. Are you listening for the shepherd's voice? Or are you screwing around so much that you're looking for grass, you're listening, you're eating all the dirt, and it's like, are you listening for the shepherd's voice? You're trying to solve it on your own. Or you're going through a health crisis. And maybe, you know, you've got all these options in front of you, and you could choose this treatment, that treatment, you could do this, and you don't know what to do. Are you listening to the shepherd's voice? He already has it done in the heavenlies. We just get to follow him. We just get to join him. What do you think he goes, nope, sorry, fresh out, don't have anything to say to you? It's not who he is. He's like, what took you so long? Come on, listen to me. Come on, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Or, or maybe you're in a relationship struggle right now, a hard relationship, and you can't seem to say the right thing. And you've got somebody in your life that wants nothing to do with you anymore, perhaps. And they want to get away from you. Or they want to leave you. And you're overwhelmed with rejection and devastation. And you don't know what to do. And you don't know how to do it. Are you listening for the shepherd's voice? He's got his best for you. He's got his best plan for you. He's the one who leads you by still waters, by green grass, keeps you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I love this. I will always love this. Read this with me. Jesus leaving 99 to find one seems crazy until that Right? Until you are that one. Until you are that one. Remember the theme song for the weekend. I'm just going to say, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. You give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we want to be a part of your flock. You are the perfect shepherd. You are the good shepherd. You take care of your flock. You don't abandon anyone. And you know each of us by name. You know each of us by name. We're your individual sheep and you love each one of us. You know us by name. You pursue us by name. You save us by name. And Lord, we are so, so grateful. God, help our hearts. Help our hearts, Lord, to be transformed by your love, by your love, so that your gratitude can grow. Our gratitude can grow in you. God, so that our worship can become bigger and bigger and bigger and more worthy of your greatness, God. Your good, good shepherd. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent. We thank you for the obedience to Father Jesus. God, we want to be in that relationship with you. We want to worship you. We want to bring you glory over and over again. God, help us to do that. Help us to listen for your voice every minute, 
every hour, every day, from now until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.